Okay. <clears throat> me, 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 me. I'm leaving that. <laughs> Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> the human bank was denied. Or the human bank was denied a torch Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 10 of our series, Seeking Out the Weird, the Unexplained, and Devious from Around the World. I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. Today we are changing it up and talking about gods. Specifically, daddy gods. God, that, you make that so gross. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I do what I can. You're not sorry. I'm not sorry. Uh, if you weren't able to join us on our uh, technological blunder of Wednesday for our draft picks, then shame on you because we were totally on it. We did everything on time and nothing went wrong. Yeah, 100%. We did a Absolutely. fantastic job. Um, yeah, everything was totally on Facebook Live. Nothing happened. Yeah, we didn't have to go anywhere else or... <laughs> research on how to do it because we didn't research on how to do it beforehand um yeah everything was perfect everything went great um we got our draft picks done so yeah um i'm just saying i blame facebook i feel like that interface should have been easier to use i don't know what you're talking about because everything went perfect and there were no problems so that's right so raya Who's your daddy? Uh, I have multiple. Oh, shit, beach. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Jenna Marbles, I'm sorry. I was about to say, I don't know where <laughs> that came from, but okay. <laughs> it's okay, we were, uh, we made references to how to care for your answerment last night at the party I went to. Oh, it needs to be lots and lots of chicken. It needs to be in and hot bed, on and hot bed, in and hot house, in and hot climate. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about a we were talking about a human that was at the party who was very cold natured. <laughs> you must keep your sermon at temperature boiling. <laughs> Uh, to cut all that out. Jenna Marbles. <laughs> Jenna Marbles listen to our podcast, please. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. But I feel like we probably have to cut it out so we don't get, like, copyright claimed. Nah. In the future. She sometime. watches meme videos of herself all the time. Maybe. She loves it. Maybe. Maybe. Alright, so... Do we want to list who we got in the draft for all the losers who didn't watch us on the Facebook Live that totally happened without any hitches or complications? <laughs> uh, sure, we can. We can do that. Who's who's your daddies? Okay, so I picked um, Quetzalcoatl of the Aztec gods, Baal from the Canaanite. Um, I got Chinese and I went with, where's his name? Yuanshi Tianzu, and I got Japanese, and I went with, and bear with me because 
I don't think I ever say his name again in the short little bit I have about him because it's like 14 characters, 14 letters long. Aminominakanushi. Aminakanushi. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> um, I also took Persian, um, which was Ahura Mazada. Or, sorry, not Mazada. Ahura Mazda. And I went with the Loa Pantheon and took Dambala. Andari's going to do laundry and hopefully not fall down the stairs. Alright, uh, well, I have the Egyptian god Ra, the Norse god Odin, the Celtic god the Dagda. He has a the in front of his name, evidently. <laughs> um, I have the Maori god Tane, which I hope I am saying correctly. I think so. And then I have uh, the Greek god Zeus. And the Roman god Jupiter. There's not... it. It's a thing. It's not a thing. Stop it's trying thing. to make it a thing. Stop trying to make fetch happen, Casey. Stop trying to make Jupiter happen. He's not gonna happen. He has a planet that says otherwise. Or does the planet have him? Ooh. Bum bum bum. <laughs> When I when I was when I was writing out the list of gods, um, I sent it to you, and I wrote down like kind of what they were involved with, like what they were the gods of. I don't know if you noticed, but on on Zeus, he's the god of law and order, and I put dun dun at the end. I did notice. <laughs> I did notice. That was so funny. I had a good chuckle. I mean, you can start if you'd like to. I had no problems. Well, you technically have one more than I do, so if you start, then we'll alternate appropriately. Fine. Okay. <clears throat> so I started off um, because I just went in alphabetical order, except with the exception of the Loa, um, of how I wrote down the pantheons. So I started off with Aztec, with Quetzalcoatl, um, he is a deity in Mesoamerican culture, um, and he really spread all throughout, like, Aztec, Mayan, all over. There is iconography and images that a lot of historians sort of attach to being different groups, interpretations of the same idea of a deity, the same, you know, feathered serpent. Uh, which is what his name means. So I have a word my note go. Um, so there, but it came up later. Oh yeah, there's an animal that's thought to represent him that's called a resplendent quetzal, and it's a a type of bird. So quetzal is bird, and quetzal is snake oh. or a serpent. Um, and the first known documentation of him being worshipped happened in the late pre-classic era to the early classic period between 400 BC and 600 AD, which is a really big span of time for it to have started. Yeah. Um, 
but Quetzalcoatl is the god of wind and wisdom, um, and wind was thought his, uh, his brother was the, I think it was his brother, is the deity of, of storms and of rain, and so the idea is Quetzalcoatl would bring the storm, he and his brother would bring the storm and the rain into where they needed um, irrigation and to help the crops grow. So he was inc- bringing the noise, bringing the funk. <laughs> so he's incredibly important to their society and making sure that, you know, they have crops, they have food, they can do trade, they can do all of these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, his he's associated with the planet of Venus. Okay. The Quetzalcoatl wears a wind breastplate, and there is a name for it, and uh, I'm going to try to say it now. <laughs> there is a name for it. That's all you have to say. Ehe Kaila Koko Kozakotl. It's a name. Very good. Kudos. <laughs> Uh, and it's got a spiral-shaped wind jewel in the middle of it that's supposed to, like, give him the power of the wind. And the breastplate itself is made out of conch shell. The talisman, like, the priests and religious leaders from various Mesoamerican tribes have been found wearing a necklace resembling the talisman in their burial. Um, so it appears that Quetzalcoatl's uh, armaments were seen as being, you know, important enough for other religious leaders to try to emulate it for priests to be closer um, to Quetzalcoatl by wearing things that represented him. And of course, you know, the Spanish come in and fuck everything up because that's what the Spanish do. Mm-hmm. In in colonial history, I'm gonna say hashtag not all Spanish. <laughs> but before before the Spanish came in and sort of messed everything up, the Aztecs saw Quetzalcoatl as also a god of the dawn, and of merchants, arts and craft, and knowledge. Um, he is one of the three most important gods, and is also a twin. Like I said, he has the brother. Um, who would bring rain. And animals that are thought to represent him are, like I said, the resplendent quetzal, uh, which is a really pretty, it's like a little, I looked it up, it's like a little green tropical bird. Um, Rattlesnakes, crows, and macaws. He's got quite the repertoire. Yeah. So Quetzalcoatl has two forms. Um, He has a humanoid form, or you see more humanoid form, and then he has the wind serpent form, and all that that's also just described as his wind form, so the form that he can fly in and do all that stuff. Um, that one is called Ehecatl, and he Ehecatl is represented by spider monkeys and ducks. Oh, that's again quite the repertoire. <laughs> Um, the earliest known depiction 
of the Feathered Serpent was found on a sculpture in Stella 19 at an Olmec site in La Venta. And, you know, Olmec predates Aztec and Mayan. And the uh, the depiction is to be estimated from around 900 BC. Um, so super duper old. The Mayans built the first temple to depict a feathered serpent, known as the now known as the Quetzalcoatl Temple. Um, and Cholula is the epicenter of his worship. Okay. He is seen as one of the more one of the most powerful deities because of the nature of wind. It can be a force that ushers in rain, or it can be a force causing natural disasters. So, you know, a tornado happens, Quetzalcoatl is pissed at us. A, a right. good rainstorm comes in, okay, Quetzalcoatl is pleased with us. Too much rain happens, okay, he's pissed off at us again, you know. And we'll we'll see it, I know, throughout multiple different deities throughout everything. It's just like the human's natural need to explain why some natural phenomenon is happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I thought it was interesting that, you know, that weighing of wind is neither good nor bad, mm -hmm. but it can be perceived as either. And so I thought that was like versus, you know, the king of the Aztec gods effectively being like someone more like Zeus, where it's something like, you know, lightning and thunder and like all these kind of scary things. Like, wind is pretty much like normally a non malicious thing. There's right. just a couple of things that, you know, can happen that are really bad. But like a lot of, especially the older gods, that I looked into, there's a bunch of origin stories for Quetzalcoatl. He doesn't have just, like, one, you know, he was born and then he was, you know, he was born of a god, became king of gods. Like, so in one version, he was born to a virgin named Chimalman um, after the god Ontiol appeared to her in a dream. So kind of Jesus-y. Um, which sort of plays into something later. Uh, another version says that he was born from that same virgin, Chimal Man. That's kind of the overarching. Like, she is his mom. If if he has a mom, it's Chimal Man. Um, and she was he was born after she swallowed an emerald uh, because he, you know, is kind of associated with green, emerald green color, um, which is the resplendent Quetzal's color. It's a really bright emerald green. Uh, three, third version, uh, Chimalmon was hit in the womb oh. by an arrow shot by Mixcoatl, which is another Aztec god. And nine months later, she gave birth to Quetzalcoatl. Um, four, he was born by Q, who had given birth to 400 children that made up all of the stars of the Milky Way. Um, version five, 
He is one of four sons, and he represents the god. He represents as the god of the dawn star. And also, he is the creator of the calendar, provider of corn to humans, and is sometimes associated with death and resurrection. Hmm. Um, he is also a patron of priests and religious leaders. And some legends say he was opposed to human sacrifice, but some say that he practiced it, um, which is a big part of Aztec culture. Right. Um, I've always, any research I did previous to, like, actually sitting down and writing this down, I've always read that he was, like, human sacrifice was never associated with Quetzalcoatl. Like, never intentionally or never directly associated with him. Also, you know, the the importance of Quetzalcoatl being the creator of the calendar for Mesoamerican culture. I mean, we still look to the Mayan calendar and wonder how did they get it so accurate? How did they figure out how all of these dates and all of these things, like, for it being as old as it is, it's shockingly accurate. And so yeah. the idea that, you know, they believed that it was brought to them by a god makes sense in, you know, something that we still kind of can't fully explain mm-hmm. to how they would have the knowledge base to, to come up with something like that. So Emperor Moctezuma II initially thought that Hernan Cortes was the return of Quetzalcoatl back to the land. Some historians disagree on the validity of it, but I remember in school, which granted school, learning that, you know, the the conquistadors were initially welcomed by the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Incas and all of the groups because they looked like how gods had been described in their writings of like being Mm -hmm. fairer skinned being lighter haired you know like these different things and you know unfortunately the native culture thought oh this must because we can't explain how they could get here safely when we've never been able to get further away than you know this far they must be gods And, you know, unfortunately, that happened. Yep. Also, uh, Mormons think that Quetzalcoatl is Jesus, from what I was reading. Or I guess some do. Because of the idea, the comparison of him being born to a virgin. um, And being considered a god. Because remember, the Mormons um, believe, and this is me... Very, very probably bastardizing Mormon belief. So apologies there if you are of Mormon faith. But the idea that the um, the lost tribes of Israel came to America and are the right. Native Americans. And so Mayans, Incans, Aztecs are still considered Native... Well, not Incans so much, but Mayans and Aztecs are still considered Native Americans because they were in the Americas. And so the idea that Quetzalcoatl was a representation of Jesus to the people of that world, to the people of that era, um, because that's where Jesus came from the Middle East to 
South America, or not South America, to South North America <laughs> as Quetzalcoatl, born again of a virgin. Um, and it seems like kind of a way to sort of try to connect uh, for mission trips as like, you know, look, this god from your ancient culture also was born from a virgin, just like our, you know, son of God of our faith. They're not so different, these two people. Maybe they were the same person, you know, born in two different realms, like two different worlds, but are the same, you know, kind of trying to make that connection. But I thought that was, I couldn't find a ton of information about that. It's just sort of was kind of compiled at the end of the page I was reading. But I thought it was interesting and it makes sense. Well, that was fascinating. I learned some things. Well, I'm glad. Shall I tell you about Ra? Sure. He is a sun god of Egypt, king of gods. Uh, he had the body of a man, but the head of a falcon. And he is typically depicted with a disc over his head, uh, representing the sun, and a cobra around the sun. Uh, he ruled in all parts of the created world, the sky, the earth, and the underworld. Um, he was the god of the sun, kings, and sky, and as father of Mott, uh, he was the source of right and justice in the cosmos. He was believed to have crossed the sky in a sunboat during the day and before having to go... Oh, sorry. Uh, before having to go into the water and then through the netherworld, uh, he took about an hour to go through each of the 12 sections of the underworld, including popping by to visit Osiris or m merge with him. It was kind of murky. <laughs> um, and then he had to fight the giant snake... Apophis, or Apophis, I don't know what the emphasis would be. Like uh, every day? Yeah. Every wow, day. that's uh, intense. He has to fight the snake in order for a new day to be born. Um, in one of the stories, the boat is swallowed by Apophis, but she is unable to keep him down because of poor constitution, I guess. Uh, and she vomits because, him back up. Because of the illness. <laughs> the illness. Uh, she vomits him back up, and uh, that's uh, what they described as explaining the solar eclipse. Oh, okay. Uh, On, also called Heliopolis, was the name of the major city of his worship. Um, he was respected and worshipped in all sections of like Egyptian uh, mythology, but that was like the place to go and worship Ra. Uh, other traditions would merge stories together, adding Ra's name to their own gods. For example, Atun and Amun, uh, both central gods of their own traditions, would become Atun Ra and Amun Ra. Yeah. Um, and his name was also used by pharaohs, uh, such as Ramses, uh, Ram or Ra. Z's. Uh, he was the son of Ra or son of the sun. Uh, so by proving his divine right to his subjects. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of crossover with Ra. Most sun gods had a falcon form. 
Uh, there's some assimilation with gods like Horus. The discussion I found on the differences between Ra's function uh, and Horus was that Ra was more of like a primal god of the sun, and it was a wider domain of worship as opposed to Horus, which was more specific. Um, they even come together in some cases uh, with, I'm going to butcher this, Rahorkriti. That I sounds think. like a thing. Uh, who is, uh, is uh, it means Ra, who is Horus of the Two Horizons. Hmm. That is what that is supposed to mean. Uh, there's the right eye of Ra and the left eye of Horus, representing the sun and moon, respectively, both sun gods, etc. Yeah. So this guy, Atum, this is the creation story, was just swimming alone in the Sea of Noon. It was a sea of chaos at the beginning of time. And he was like, well, let's do a little creation. I don't have a good Egyptian accent, so I went with, like, a Mel Brooks thing there, <laughs> which is probably not great. <laughs> uh, and so Atum created everything. I am Atum when he is alone in noon. I am Ra when he is dawned, and he began to rule that which he made, is the quote. Uh, he literally fucks himself and makes Shu and Tefnut god of air and goddess of, and I quote, moisture, respectively. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, he then creates all form of life by saying their secret names. Uh, in some accounts, it's the tears and sweat of Ra that create man and people. Uh, and he is the papa of one of my favorite Egyptian goddesses, uh, Bestet. She is the lady of cats. The I cat figured of... that that was going to be one of your favorites the the cat of Ra. she is an instrument of vengeance feel like we're gonna fist fight over her well that and uh i think it's sectet because she was the weapon of Ra, essentially and uh the fire in the eye of Ra. and so she was like sent to fight his battles for him so she's pretty cool too that's what i wrote on Ra. all right I try not to be too lengthy and like go into too much, but I I got creation, I got his business, I got his kids. <laughs> um, so I did the Canaanite pantheon, um, and I decided. Well, I didn't decide, but Baal is pretty much the daddy god of the Canaanites. Um. His name literally means leader or owner. Some translations have it, like, to husband or, you know, different things like that. Basically, Gross. just he is he is in charge in, you know, Canaanite religion thousands and thousands of years ago. Yeah. Um, so he is the god of a lot of things. He is the god of fertility. He is the god of weather. He is the god of rain, wind, lightning, seasons, war, and sailors. Interesting. Um, so his symbol is a bull and a sheep. Um, he's often like depicted riding on the back of a bull, like standing on the back riding it. Baal is probably going to be our oldest 
god, I'm pretty sure. Um, he was first mentioned in the 3rd millennium BCE in Abu Salabik, um, an ancient Sumerian city that's in northwest Iraq. Uh, sometimes he is seen as the renamed version of a similar god named Hadad. And even though, uh, even their names, even their names get mashed up sometimes to, like, Baal Hadad, uh, Hadu, Baal Hadu. Um, but slowly the gods parted in worship, Hadad being worshipped by the uh, Armenians and Baal being worshipped by the Phoenicians and Canaanites. Uh, Dry summers because he is the god of weather and seasons. So whenever there was a particularly um, bad summer as far as crops go, or dry, no rain, no no anything to help them, uh, they were explained by the myth that Baal would go into the underworld in those months, and he would take his storms and rains with him there. Hmm. Um, to give the underworld a chance at healing, too, I guess. Well, that's nice of him. Um, th- the virgin goddess Anant is his older sister and also his wife, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because 3rd third, third millennium BCE. Um, <laughs> sentence, my, my, my sentence of decision here was questionable. Uh, Baal doesn't like snakes because he's got a beef with a snake called Yamu. Um, and Gods don't like snakes is... unless they are a snake. Yeah. Uh, Yamu is the god of the sea and his symbol is a snake. And Baal has fought many sea serpents that were sent to try to kill him by Yamu, whose names I have left out because they were too complex for me to even try. They wouldn't have even been a no. funny butcher. No, you should have said their names are left out for their protection. <laughs> <laughs> their names are redacted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but him fighting these sea serpents resulted in him being considered the patron god of sailors and seafaring merchants. The idea that by him going in and defeating them, he's asserting that he is also protecting the sea and thus protecting the boats and the sailors and the merchants and all of their wares that are on the boats from these serpents that previously may have attacked the boats. Hmm. He also defeated Mot, who is the god of death of the Canaanite faith, and basically became the god of death later. Um, he, he he became the leader of the spirits. So not only was he the leader of man, he was also the leader of man after they died. Oh, this is what I... I thought this was super interesting. I probably spent way too much time reading about this. But Baal would spread all throughout the Mediterranean area. Um... Eventually, he even gets wrapped up in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam in varying degrees of, um, yeah, worshippers of Baal are mentioned in all three of the the books. And normally, it's pretty 
okay and there's not a lot of like negativity associated with it he's basically just seen as like one of the idols that had to be replaced in order to worship the one true god um but he does come up in different books in the the three different books in different respects but but all in later christianity takes on a different connotation completely Mm -hmm. where his name gets associated as Baalzebub. Yep. I was wondering if that's where that was going to lead to. Bezelbub, the Lord of the Flies, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, probably in a Patreon episode later. But I thought that that was interesting as to where... Beelzebub, Bezelbub, however, Beelzebub. different people pronounce it. Beelzebub, yeah. That's how Queen and... pronounces it. But I thought that that was interesting. That that's where it came from was Beelzebub as like a first name, last name, yeah. and then it just sort of got mashed together. <laughs> <clears throat> but amazing. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll cover the uh, the exorcism that cover that is the exorcist movie at some point, and he is a key part in that. So, yeah, that's what I got for Baal. All right, so I'm gonna switch some gears, and I'm gonna go into Odin. All right. I'm not going to go into him. That That's gross. But, you know, I'm going to start talking about him. Well, and I have a, I have a feeling like Frey would probably be pretty mad at you. I mean, I don't know. She He had sex with a lot of things, so. That's true. Better she, or worse than Zeus? Uh, better, I think. Um, but okay, she, she also knows the fate of everybody, so I don't really think she would be surprised. That's true. Yeah. Fair. So Odin is called the Allfather the one-eyed god, the wanderer. He has like 200 names. Uh, Woden, Wodan, Wotan. Uh, and he has this super complex background because of the vastness of archaeological and literary sources that talk about him. Um, there's a Roman historian, uh, Tacitus, I think is how you would say it. Tacitus? I don't know. I think it's Tacitus. I think it's Tacitus. Uh, I think it's Tacitus. Yeah. Uh, well, he believed that the Teutons uh, worshipped Mercury because Dies Mercury, or uh, Mercury as they say in French, is Mercury's day and is identified with Woden's day, or Wednesday, as we call it now. Um, and that Woden, the earlier form of Odin, was what Tacitus meant. Um, Tacitus also refers to Thor as Hercules and Tyr as Mars in his works. So he, he really tries to make a correlation there, um, between the gods. Um, he was a war God. Odin, uh, was the protector of heroes as fallen warriors would join him in Valhalla. Uh, he also was associated with wisdom, healing, death, royalty, the gallows, knowledge, battle, victory, sorcery, poetry, frenzy, and the runic alphabet. So he's like a dozen wow. things under his belt. 
Yeah, but it makes sense. Like, he's the all-father. Like, yes. he is... He is the... The originator. Well, let me give you Casey's Reader's Digest version of the creation story for Norse mythology. Sorry. Norse mythology. North mythology of me. Uh, <laughs> in the beginning of time, there were the cold mists and the fire realm, essentially. And then there was this void in the middle. When the elements commingled, the first Jotun, Ymir, was created. Uh, and he got his nourishment from sucking on a giant cow. So, the sweat from Ymir created more giants, the Jotnar, and the cow licked the salt from the ice, thus creating the first Acer god, Buri. He had a son who married a Jotun, and they together had three sons, Lothur, Honir, and Odin. Odin was like, yo bra, let's kill Ymir, this giant primordial Jotun. And his brothers were like, cool, let's do it. And from the blood of Ymir, like, everybody is drowned, save two giants, the Yotun. And uh, even the cow drowns, I want to point out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so with the corpse of Ymir, with the corpse of Ymir, the brothers create Earth. They use the sparks from the fire realm for the sun and stars and the moon. Ymir's skull created the sky, his flesh and bones, the soil. They create the world of elves, dark elves. They create Asgard. All together as Idrisil, the world tree. My husband, by the way, is super into Norse mythology. Um, and he will probably kill me for my, <laughs> my bastardization of that creation story so <laughs> love you well we've only got we've we've only got so many minutes aj yeah so <laughs> he marries frig he fathers a literal countless number of children for uh for thor balder tear uh, he, <laughs> he he father he fathers a limitless amount of children just four <laughs> uh, <laughs> He adopts Loki as a blood brother. He, because he is all, you know, knowing, essentially, he looks out and he sees this mischievous uh, Jotun and he's like, hey, he's really charming and funny and I like him. Be my blood brother. And Loki's like, yeah, okay. And then nobody trusts Loki because he's a sneak and he, like, pits each other pits both sides against one another and he's just not a cool dude but odin likes him so uh he's known as the raven god because of his two raven companions munin and hugin uh who sit at his shoulders and tell them what they see and hear so he sends them out every morning and is like hey go travel the world and tell me what you see and then they come back and they're like, yo, hey, I know it's dinner time now, so you you just hang in and we'll just tell you what we saw. Uh, and speaking of dinner time, it's said that he gives all of his food to his wolves 
uh, Gary and Frecky because uh, he doesn't eat food. To him, wine is both food and drink. Oh, to live that life. I know, right? Like, I just imagine Odin hanging out with Karen from Will and Grace. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he could give her a run for her money. Um, Uh, I have a feeling that's accurate. (laughs) So he's also, because he's called the Wanderer, um, the story is that he wanders the earth in disguise, uh, testing the hospitality of his worshippers. Um... There's actually an episode of uh, the show Vikings that was on the History Channel where there's a god in disguise, essentially. Or he says he is. Whether or not it actually is, is left very open and vague, and you never know. Uh, but one of the th- AJ and I were like, oh my god, it's Odin. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's called the One-Eyed God because he gave up one of his eyes in exchange for wisdom. And that's like a huge thing with um, with Odin. Like he hung himself from Yggdrasil for nine days because he wanted to learn the secrets of runes. And that's what gave him all this magical power. So the story goes that he like looks out into the fucking world and he's like, hey, where can I get some more wisdom? I love that wisdom. Need some more wisdom. <laughs> I got my dump stat in uh, in in. I don't know what decks I have my dump stat in decks and I need more wisdom. So (laughs) I've been maxed too hard. Yeah. I don't think Odin has a dump stat, but if he did, I bet it would be decks. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) So he, he sends, you know, like he looks out into the fucking vast universe and he goes, I need some more wisdom. And he sees this Yotun and he goes, that fucking Yotun is way wise. What the hell's going on? So he finds out that there is a well of wisdom, essentially, at this root of Yggdrasil. And this Yotun has been drinking from the well, trying to become more and more wise. So he goes and he goes, hey, I'd like to have some of this wisdom. Can I have just one drink? And the Yotun's like, yeah, but I want some of your all-seeing, you know, seeingness. Capabilities. (laughs) Yeah, and so uh, Odin gives up his eye, one of his eyes, so that he can drink from the Well of Wisdom. I mean, that seems like kind of a fair trade. Yeah, so he learned, like, he, you know, then he goes to battle during Ragnarok because Baldur is killed and Loki has something to do with it and there's a whole mess and um, the idea of Ragnarok is that there will be, it's not an apocalyptic end, like, say, the, what what is it in the Christian faith? Like, the, shit. Armageddon. Yeah, there's a different word I'm thinking of, but yes, that. Um, so, the idea of, like, there being a complete overhaul of the Earth, not necessarily... But it's a rebirth, so there will be another Ragnarok, and it will happen again and again and again. Um, but so Ragnarok happens, and Odin falls in battle, swallowed by Fenrir, the giant fucking wolf. So yeah, that's uh, beginning and end of Odin. Uh, you know, 
the the idea that he and his brothers who aren't really mentioned so much after the fact uh you know create sprites and animals and all of these things that people um one of the things i i always love is like in iceland they moved a highway around a certain like they, they moved it in such a way to avoid a place where they thought elves might be because elves aren't real except for they totally are so <laughs> so it's it's interesting how how faith even to this day it's like there's there's not elves but we're still gonna build this highway around something that could be so much easier to just go straight through because there might be elves there yeah why risk it yeah <clears throat> I also... it's like Jari uh, Jari doesn't believe necessarily in any like supernatural stuff or ghosts or that sort of thing but then I brought up it's just like well let's go get a Ouija board and play with it and she's like no and hey, I was like well not. why if there's if there's nothing and she's just like I mean, I don't believe it, but also why risk it? Like, <laughs> I, I don't believe it, but I also don't want to prove that it's true yeah. at my own cost. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, fair. Yes. So there's a, there's a story that I heard from uh, a, a person that AJ and I went to dinner with once. Um, they were talking about their uh, trip to Iceland. And they said that there's a hill in Iceland, and at the top of the hill... There used to be a temple or, you know, whatever the version of a temple is in Norse mythology for uh, Thor. And so when Christianity uh, came in and did the whole conversion thing, they tore it down and they made a church there. And like three times this place has been hit by lightning. So they just stopped building the church there. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, okay, we're not going to rebuild again. We're going to go someplace else. Sorry about that. We're going to go down the mountain a little bit. Yeah. So I thought that was, you know, like, things like that are always super interesting to me. Like, coincidence? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But a weird coincidence. It yeah. It's, like, it didn't, it didn't catch on fire. It was struck by lightning three times. Yeah. Just like someone is telling you, someone who may or may not have power over lightning oh, is telling lightning, you to fuck exactly. off his mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Kirk is climbing the mountain. All right, so you ready to move on? Yeah, sure. I didn't give dates. Okay. I feel I feel like super lame because you're like, oh, this is when he was worshipped, and I was like, oh fuck, I didn't do that. I didn't do it on all of them. I just okay, cool. if it was if I could e- if I could easily find it, I put it in there. But if it wasn't something that I could find, then I would just like glossed over it. Well, I probably could have found it. I just didn't. <laughs> also, I didn't yeah. go in any particular Sorry. order. You're like, here is my alphabetical list, and I was like, I did the fun ones. <laughs> <laughs> In no particular order. Please don't smite me. Or do. Prove that you're here. Prove that you're here, Thor. No. Smite Casey's house. Shut shut up. (laughs) Words have power. 
don't make me get out my Necronomicon. <laughs> that was a fun rant I went on last episode. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Okay. So the next one I have in my alphabetical order is the Chinese Pantheon. And I decided to go... There were, there were several options... I decided to go with the oldest option of the three. Um, so his name is Yuanshi Tianzu. Um, so he is one of the highest deities of religious Taoism. Um, I, I don't have a ton about him or about my Japanese deity, so apologies there. So it'll be nice and short. But he is known as the Jade Pure One and is one of three pure ones. Hmm. He resides in the heaven of the Jade Purity. He came into being at the beginning of the universe when pure breaths merged together to form him. And after that, he created heaven and earth. And he has probably the most unfun job of any of these deities, I think, so far. <laughs> He's basically a bureaucrat of heaven. Oh, that's sad. He he just does, like, administrative work and decides, like, what changes are going to be made, who's going to get into heaven, how they're going to judge and decide and how things are going to work. But later on, he gave administrative duties to his assistant, you. Yu Huang, who is the Jade Emperor, who was another option that I had, but he come he came in after Yuan Yuan Shi, so I decided to go with Yuan Shi instead. Um, I thought this was really interesting though. So uh, Yuan Shi was seen as a like a beacon of wisdom and information, like the majority of the patriarchs of deity or of pantheons are. Mm -hmm. And so he was reached out to a lot by religious leaders to like ask questions and uh, receive responses. And so how they would do this is that the diviners the royal diviners would make sacrifices of shoulder bl shoulder blades of oxes and they would send a message like carve a message into the bone to Yuanshi and then would burn them at a high temperature and then the idea was that the smoke and fire would thin the veil with the divine realm and reach Yuanshi and that the that act is called scapillomancy. Hmm. And the heat on the bones would crack the bones and the royal diviners would interpret those marks as Yuanshi's response to the communication and would give that information over to the emperor to help him make whatever decision he was going to make. So the royal diviners are just telling the emperor what he wants to hear or what they feel he needs to hear. But I think it's interesting that there's like literally a smoke show of this is what Yuan Shi has responded with 
on our sacrifice of the shoulder blade bone and you know this is what we have perceived it as and i i always think it's interesting to see different religions and different faiths and their way of like doing that like throwing bones throwing runes reading tea you know tarot cards all of these different things in the same like divining idea but they're all it always seems like they're always so different but all just like do the same thing Mm -hmm. and i just think it's interesting to learn about that (laughs) oh gosh okay but that's that's what i got on yuanshi there wasn't a ton i love the idea of him just being like an accountant of sorts yeah an accountant of heaven. Yeah. All right. Shall I tell you about the Dagda? Sure. All right. So the Dagda was a member of the Tuendedonen, um, which is the Irish pantheon of gods, I guess. Not Irish, Celtic, whatever. He was portrayed as a great father as a king and druid. Uh, He represented fertility, agriculture, druidry, wisdom, magic, strength, and manliness. Yeah, I wrote that down. I was just like, that's hilarious. Leave it to the, leave it to the Celts. (laughs) (laughs) I have a god of manliness. Um, So he can both give and take away life. He controls the weather, time, and the seasons. He's depicted as a massive man with a beard. Um, he's sometimes even uh, drawn as like a buffoon, like oafish guy um, with a tunic that barely covers his ass, dragging a giant penis on the ground. But this is thought to have been employed by Christian redactors um, who were trying to make comedy out of like, oh, you people believe in this sort of deal? Yeah. Look at this oaf. What kind of god is he? That sort of thing. So early on, he had great respect by those who worshipped the Tuendedonen. Um, he was called the Allfather or Great Father, not because he was actually a creator of the creator of life, but because of his role as father figure and protector. Um, and he wasn't the first king of the Pantheon, uh, but he had the longest reign. He's known for his three special attacks, as I call them. His club, his cauldron, (laughs) and his harp. (laughs) The club, which is called, and forgive me, uh, Logmor uh, is a great club, or the Lorg Anved, uh, which is the club of wrath. Um, It was said to have weighed so much that it would have taken eight men to carry it and it could slay nine men in a single blow, but the handle had the magic to bring like, so he could like bring people back to life with the handle of his staff or club, but the, the business end could wipe out nine people in one blow. Wow. The cauldron or Koransik, uh, or the undry cauldron was said to have been bottomless with a ladle large enough for two men to fit inside. 
It was filled with food, and no man that ate from the cauldron would leave unsatisfied. It's a nice, nice perk to have. Right? I would love to have. I would love to have a... Alright, so the harp, the uthin, I think is how you say it, was known for... Or, oh, sorry, it was known as the four-angled music. When Dagda played it, the seasons were put in order, um, and it was apparently used to command battles, easing the fears of soldiers and soothing their wounds. I will also mention he had two pigs, one that was alive, and the other one perpetually roasting. After that, I wrote LOL, because I just think that's so funny. That poor first <laughs> pig must be like, oh god, I'm next. <laughs> <laughs> all right so there are these uh fomorians right they go to war with the toendedonin uh because they are enemies and stuff the harp gets left unguarded by those you know uh, toendedonin people uh they uh leave it unguarded the fomorians just here sorry they leave the harp okay. unguarded, and the Fomorians steal it. So this group of Fomorians steal it. They feel like, oh god, the Dagda's going to track us down. They leave, and they go to this castle with their families to hide until the war is won. And they think, oh, then we'll just come back, and ha ha ha, we have this harp hanging on a wall. So the Fomorians get beat. They get dunked on by the Dagda. <laughs> and he tracks down his harp and he goes in and he like Thor style calls his harp to his hand, killing nine people as it flies through the air to him. And then he starts to play three melodies. The first one uh, was a song of sorrow and sent the children and women in the, in the hall, uh, wailing into tears the second one was a song of joy which had people falling over laughing because of how joyful it was and the third song was a song of sleep which put everybody to sleep this sounds like some ocarina of time bullshit right <laughs> <laughs> well anyway he got, he got his heart back is the, is the story um so there are a couple of different um, notes on who he was wed to or coupled with or however you want to, because the, um, the things I found, he was, uh, he had consorts of Banu, I'm sorry, Danu and Boand, which I'm probably saying horribly wrong. Uh, but Boan was actually the wife of another god, Elamar. Oops. She gets knocked up. So in an effort to hide their affair, the Dagda stops the sun in the sky for nine months so that she could have their baby in one day. Weird. Uh, his breakfast required several whole sheep, goats, and pigs and 80 gallons of milk. Same. Uh, he is said to have also uh, coupled with the uh, the goddess the Morrigan, 
and that was how uh, he fought the Fomorians was because he coupled with her on Samhain for a plan of battle against the fuckers of the Fomorians. Uh, so, and he, they call her the envious wife in, in all the stories. Uh, and he was inevitably killed by a woman, uh, the queen of the Fomorians. Despite the comparisons to Odin that are often made because he was considered the great father, all father, um, there's actually a lot of comparisons that could be made to Thor, for instance, the club. But there's also a story about where he fights a giant octopus, which is strikingly similar to the tales of Thor uh, battling Jormungandr. So it's really, there's a lot of comparisons there. But uh, yeah, when they said that he ate several whole sheep and uh, pigs and goats and 80 gallons of milk for breakfast, I was like, damn son, chill. You need to find some calm. (laughs) I don't think a lot of the gods have any chill, so... Yeah, (laughs) that's true. But the thing about um, especially Celtic deities was that I feel like uh, Christianity went in so hard that it is hard to find anything that's really like, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to find anything that's super solid. Whereas with like Norse mythology, it's on everything. So every time you see the, the knot of Odin, you're like, fuck another guy worshiping Odin. Like, uh, and, and you can see in the sagas and things like that. Yeah. I think part of it is because the, the Norse were just so well traveled and s- explored so yeah. far and so intently that there's no wiping it out. It's kind of like Egypt; like you can't. They literally put their name on everything that they went to. Ra it's... was here. <laughs> <laughs> What's like? What was the? They found some cave in like Finland or Norway or something where there are runes written on a, a cave wall like hun- or not hundreds but like 20 or 30 feet tall or something and it basically just says like Sven was here like <laughs> that is my favorite story honestly like... <laughs> I love that even even that long ago people were still asshats somebody tagged well I mean it's like yeah it's like that it's like the breakdown of like ancient greek to find out that uh hades named his cerebus is basically just naming his dog spot like (laughs) (laughs) i love it but what i thought was particularly interesting was like um it kind of took me back to the the Krampus uh, sort of thing where where Christians like took this thing and were like, now look at how ridiculous it is. Isn't it ridiculous? <laughs> like, don't and then this shit. And then, yeah, and then everyone is like, yes, that's why we like it. <laughs> <laughs> like the Dagda looks like my type. Like he's just this big burly guy with a beard. And I'm like, oh, oh, hey. Hey, Dagda. What's up? <laughs> the Dagda. Don't be rude. Look, I don't know how it is because I. Like, when they're referring to him, 
in the text it's Dagda, but in everything I found it's the Dagda. I don't want to be um, at the mercy of the envious wife, though. The Morgan would fuck me up. Yeah. And I do love that he... Yeah, she he, would. He legitimately, like, it's like, fuck, I gotta hide this pregnancy. I'll just make it one day for nine months, and nobody will know. <laughs> because I'm the Dagda. <laughs> yeah, groundhogs say that shit. <laughs> now, now the Dagda looks like Bill Murray. <laughs> or maybe LMR. I think it's LMR looks like Bill Murray in my head now. That's All right. Well, that's what I got on the Dagda. All right. Don't uh, get too comfortable with not talking because my oh, okay. Japanese deity is basically just a paragraph. Cool. <laughs> not even. Um, so I decided to go with the originator of the Japanese pantheon. Which is Ame no Mina Kanushi. I'm sorry? <laughs> but he is considered the heart of the universe. Um, he is the first Kami, which I confirmed with Jari. Basically, based on translation, Kami can mean God or paper. So I'm assuming in this representation that it's the first god. <laughs> I think it's paper. He was the first newspaper. He's the first piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was the the first copy and the source of the universe. Um, and there's a theologian named Harata Atsune who identified him as the spirit of the North Star. And the master of the seven stars in the Big Dipper. He is one of the original kami who is, and he was, there were a few kami that were created alone, and that's a really big thing in the Japanese pantheon because the majority of the gods of the Japanese pantheons were created with a partner deity, whether it be a husband, a wife, a child, a brother, a sister, someone else to reflect, like, to be their foil, as it were. Like, there is the creation of the god of the the moon who is married to the god of the sun. As an example, I'm not saying that that's how this is, but like... Like a yin and yang sort of thing? Yeah, like, the majority of the kami were created with two parts, one that represented this side of something and the other that represented another side of the same thing. And so uh, he is one of the few that was created alone intentionally and was all, has always been alone. He's never had a partner deity. He's never had anyone that was directly associated with him as a, another side to him. He's always just been him. That's sad. Yes, it's the, you know, preference of it. Like, he's a god. He probably, if he had wanted to, could have, but opted not to. I mean, I get it. Kids suck. I mean, that's true. But yeah, that's that's all I've got on him. There was not a ton. Um, 
he's one that is still kind of worshipped um, and seen as a like current. He and the the Chinese uh, Yuan Shi are still worshipped by some uh, some people who still follow the faiths, but. It doesn't seem like he did very much aside from creating the universe, which, like, you know, is a lot to do still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, just a simple creation of the universe. <laughs> I couldn't find, like, a bunch of detail on, you know, what his favorite color was or anything. <laughs> oh, okay. What musical instrument he played. Yeah, what planet he was associated with. What kind of birds he liked. You know, I couldn't find any of that. Well, speaking of birds. Um, I did I walk- accidentally segue you? You did. <laughs> uh, Tane of the uh, Maori mythology is my next god. Um, and he is a god of forests and birds. Um, so, <laughs> well, the story played, goes, There you go. Uh, the story goes that, uh, here, hold on, Ranganui and Papa Tuanuku, Father Sky and Earth Mother, respectively, known as Rangi and Papa, in short, um, they are where this creation story of Maori mythology, mythology sort of begin. Uh, so Rangni and Papa lie together in a tight embrace. They are sky and earth. They have many children together, all male, who are forced to live in this cramped darkness between them. As the children grow, they decide they ain't going to take these living conditions no more. And they want to see the light. So, Tumo Tauanga, the, quote, fiercest of the children, and he would later become the god of war, wants to kill his parents so that they will be free. Batane, uh who would later be the god of forests and birds, convinces him to drive them apart instead, allowing Farangi to be as, quote, a stranger to them in the sky. And Papa would stay as Mother Earth to nurture them below. So the brothers try to push apart their parents, but the earth and sky remain in their loving grasp until Tane lies on his back and pushes with his legs until they are pried apart with cries of grief. They still grieve for each other to this day, with Rangi's tears falling Aww. to the earth to show her how much he loves her. And Papa heaves and strains to break herself apart and try to reach her partner again. Uh, they say, when the mists rise from the forest, it's to be her sad sighs. Isn't that sad? Yeah. But just wanted uh, to be together. I know. Little shits. Remember that thing about how the Japanese guy didn't want any kids? This is this is why. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I really love that creation story, but it doesn't have a whole lot to do with Tane except for that. Uh, so one of his brothers uh, says, "Y'all are dicks. I'm gonna be with Dad in the sky," and he is the god of storms and weather, and like fucking tries to beat down on mom and kids because weather 
Um, Tani, though, the orchestrator of this whole prying apart, feels bad, I guess, because he goes on a search to find heavenly light to decorate his dad with and throws the stars into the sky so that he will still look sexy. With the uh, idea of the, the storm god doing this, the god of the sea, whose name I'm not even going to try, <clears throat> uh, he flees, leaving his descendants, the father of the fish and the ancestor of reptiles, behind. Tane takes them in and tries to um, like protect them from the storms. And when uh, <clears throat> God of the Sea comes back, He's like, yo, bitch, these are my kids. Back off. And so, like, there's this back and forth between um, Tane gets his brother, the god of war, to help him create fish hooks and canoes and things like that to um, to fight his brother back. And then his brother's like, well, fuck you. I'm going to toss over your canoes and drown your fishermen. That sort of thing. So that's where the the struggle between like man and beast of the sea or whatever comes into play because yeah with these polynesian sort of things fishing is a lot of the the bounty in the hall and that sort of thing yeah a lot yeah i mean yeah. that would be their main source of of protein i would assume so tani in some legends is the first creator of man and the first man is known as Tiki. But in a lot more legends, he is actually on the hunt for a lady. Uh, and he first starts to, like, date around with some non-human options. Birds, fish. And uh, one, of these, <laughs> one of these options gives birth to a stone. And he's like, ugh. Fuck you. I'm gonna make a lady out of soil instead. So... There's another story where he marries his daughter, Hine Tatima, um, and she doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know he's her dad. But when she finds out, she flips out and flees to the underworld to become the goddess of death. Uh, and the, like the, you name, do. the name of the goddess of death is Hine Nue Tepo, I think is how you say it. So anyway, Tane follows her and begs her to return. And she, like, holds up her hand, like, talk to the hand. And she tells him, you go back <laughs> up there. You raise our kids. I'll be here to take care of them when they die. Oh, dark. Yeah. So, like, they'll come back to me in the end. Go fuck yourself. And that's kind of what I got on Tane. I think I, what I found is I was like, this fucking culture is really beautiful in how they explain everything. And it. Yeah. makes absolute sense for what they are dealing with and as you said how people choose to find ways to explain away natural occurrences like high tides and things like that all having to do with the, yeah. the back and forth between Tane and, and his brothers but I, I really just the whole story of Papa and Rangi really was like oh that's just fucking sad and yeah. then so, so when it rains, it's, it's his tears. And when it's like volcanoes and earthquakes, it's her trying to reach back up to him. That was really sad. <laughs> I feel for them. I are sad now. Now I 
Now I have a sad. <laughs> What's next? <clears throat> okay, so next I have the Persian Pantheon and Ahura Mazda. Um, so Ahura Mazda first appeared in the... Okay, so I think that this is... I did not practice this, so give me a second. Okay, so I think it's Achaemenid period. Um, between 550 and 330 BCE. Um, he is invoked in a triad of gods with Mithra, who is the god of the covenant, light, and oath, and Anahita, which is the goddess of water, and Ahura Mazda represents wisdom. Ahura, Ahura also means lord, and Mazda means wisdom, so it's just sort of like taking two words and smushing them together uh, to make his name. But there was a custom among Persian emperors that an empty chariot pulled by white horses would be used to invite Ahura Mazda into battle alongside the Persian armies in an effort to, like, please share with us your wisdom. Like, we are inviting you to come into this battle and help um, by providing us the wisdom we need in order to succeed in this battle. So he's part of the Zoroastrianism uh, religion of Persia, and that dates back to the 5th century BCE, and it involves Zoroaster, who received a revelation at the age of 30, by two divine creatures that were sent by Ahura Mazda, called Amesha Spenta and Vohu Mana, who led Zoroaster to Ahura Mazda in order for Zoroaster to learn the principles of the, quote, good religion that would later become Zoroastrianism, um, which is a faith in Iran up until Islam, and some still practice it to this day. But, yeah. I thought the the part, you know, again, going into, I, I think that the rituals and the different things are the most interesting things about a lot of the deities, and I, I thought the having an empty chariot pulled by horses, like, also involved in a battle that's just, like, there with no one in it, just as a a hope that Ahura Mazda would show up and help out. <laughs> I love it. That's pretty much what I got on him. Alright. Well, I'm gonna start talking about Zeus, then. Uh, Save the best for last question mark? I guess so. I saw <laughs> Jupiter. Uh, there... Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Deity of the sky, weather god, sender of thunder, lightning, rain, and winds. He is called the father of men and gods. Um, but father doesn't necessarily mean father. Again, it's also protector, etc. Um, so he was born of Cronus. Um, he was a titan. A titan. Uh, when his father died, he rose to the throne. He has two brothers, Poseidon, god of the sea, Hades, god of the underworld. So, according to the Cretan myth, 
uh, Kronos learned that one of his children was going to usurp his throne. So he swallowed them up when they were born. But Rhea, his wife, saved Zeus by substituting a stone swaddled in clothing for Kronos to swallow instead. Yeah, she like did... at the point he wasn't even he wasn't even looking to see if it was a baby or not. He was just nom, like, nom, and nom, now nom, it's... Nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she hides him in a cave in Crete. Uh, he's nursed by a nymph or a female goat. Um, Almathia Amal Amalthaya that's it Amalthaya um, and he's guarded uh, by warrior, warriors who would clash their weapons together to hide the baby's cries mm. as he becomes a man he decides he's going to lead this revolt against the titans um, including his father he dethrones him making him regurgitate his brothers and then dividing the dominion of the world between them so again he has the skies and hangs out on Mount Olympus uh, Hades has the underworld and Poseidon is uh, in the ocean uh, heaven or Mount Olympus whatever a logical home for the weather god on top of a mountain uh, he governs the world rewarding the good and punishing the bad Probably most noteworthy about Zeus is that he is a fuckboy and has an uneasy relationship with his wife Hera because he likes to sleep around with both mortal and immortal women, frequently taking the form of animals as he did so. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Zeus kind of gross. So, to name a few, he's the father to Apollo and Artemis. Helen, Persephone, Athena, Ares, Dionysus, um, just to name a few. Um, though he's regarded as omnipotent and king god, uh, he was not the most vastly, vastly worshipped. Uh, there was actually no temple to him in Athens until the late 6th century, and the temple of Zeus in Olympia actually came later than the one for his wife Hera, um, because of the locale of like what what their dominions were um <clears throat> so um like athena and hera were pretty big ones to be worshipped whereas zeus it was like you know praise zeus i'm gonna go hope that my fucking crops are are good so <laughs> like, yeah i'm gonna go hope hope my marriage survives and i hope right. my kids survive I yeah, hope we like, win this war. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go to Athena for courage and yeah. Yep. Uh, he is depicted with a beard and a bod, and he has an eagle friend to bring him back his bolts because reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> Not Zeus. If Zeus can do it, so can you. That's right. The power is yours. <laughs> I'm not implying that Zeus is Captain Planet by any means, but I felt like it worked there. <laughs> Alright. My last one? Yeah. Okay. So, the last one is, I I have a fascination with Loa, with Voodoo, with any kind of modern, more modern 
polytheistic religion. I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so I added the Loa in at the last minute of the list making because I think that they're super interesting. I don't think that they get talked about a lot unless you are in the areas where the religions are followed and done to this day. I also think that a lot of them have a lot of interesting connections to Christianity um, that get explored, not necessarily for the one I'm talking about today, but other ones in the future I know will be heavily influenced, especially by Catholicism. And I just find them fascinating. So I broke my rule of trying to avoid religions that are still being followed um, or still being heavily followed to add the Loa into our mix. Um, So if anyone was wondering why we didn't cover something like Hinduism, um, it's because there is still such a large amount of the world's population. Hold on one sec. Um, there's there's such a large amount of people that are still following Hinduism as a faith mm-hmm. that I didn't want to run the risk. We're not talking about monotheistic religions. We're not talking about Judaism, Christianity, or anything other than referencing how these gods have influenced or were influenced by those faiths because we're not looking to make anyone upset. We're not looking to talk down on anyone's religion or faith. If it brings you happiness and contentment, that's all that we want. Um, But I find the Loa particularly fascinating, so I wanted them to be added in. So I picked the Loa um, to cover, and so I went with Dambala, who is sort of the father figure of the Loa deities. Not necessarily the leader. The Loa don't really work that way. Um, So he's just sort of the father figure. Uh, He is a serpent god. He is one of the most popular deities among the Loa as well. Um, He is seen as benevolent and innocent and an incredibly loving father. Um, He is not a very good communicator, though. Mainly because he doesn't talk he has he has no speech he basically just hisses (laughs) so you have to speak partial tongue to understand i mean i guess if you know if you could then yes and his wisdom often seems much more interpretive than anything else because you you're not able to speak to him he's not able to directly influence what you are going to do he speaks with his presence and with his aura, basically. Mm. Um, so Dambala has an actual snake form that he commonly is in. I am under the impression that he also can take on human forms or can have you know, a human representation, but he is predominantly a snake. Um, he has a special basin of water that he plunges into and a tree that he'll climb into as well. Um, he also can be found in rivers, springs, and marshes. So basically wherever, wherever snakes are hanging out. Um, I think the majority of the times I've seen his form described, he's described as a boa. 
I've also seen it described as uh, like an anaconda. Okay. So he, instead of speaking, he radiates like a warm, comforting feeling. And like I was saying about his, you know, his aura is what he speaks with. And so he makes those around him feel welcome and optimistic and just warm. Like going home to, you know, someone that you care about's house and just knowing that you're welcome there and you're safe there. And there's, you know, probably going to be like coffee and cookies in five minutes, you know, Ooh. that kind of, that yeah. kind of sensation of safety and warmth um, is what he sort of just exudes when you're around him. I want that. Um, as a snake, he really digs eggs, he likes to Ooh. eat them a lot, and they're often given as a offering to Dumbala. Um, he is married to Ada, or uh, Ida Weddo, and they are often depicted as two snakes diving into a pool by a rainbow. Aww. It's not something that I wrote down, but I, it was something that I read that was Dombala. Um, Dombala, or the Loa Faith and Dombala and his wife, like, none of them are directed, none of the Loa deities are directly representative of fertility. Hmm. Um, because the Loa faith believes that fertility falls on everyone. And so okay. all of the gods are gods of fertility because it is neither up to the man or the woman to have fertility both have to have fertility in order in order to be fertile. I like that. And so even though he is has a wife and they have children and all of these things, he's not directly representative of a fertility god because they don't have one. In addition to being a serpent god, he is also the god of lightning and rain, which makes him extremely important to farmers and um, crop growth, which again makes him a popular god because it's really important that those crops grow and that, you know, people have food. So again, sort of falling into that like Zeus idea of yeah, Zeus is important, but he's not directly affecting he's not directly affecting your crops or mm -hmm. your marriage or your children or the war that's going on and so he's a little bit less important to the standard observer but Dombala has stepped in is like ah no lightning rain and wisdom like <laughs> we're, yeah. we're gonna do this I'm, I'm going to be important <laughs> um, people who are possessed by him during rituals and things will dart their tongues in and out like a snake. Uh, sometimes they'll slither on the floor. Sometimes they'll even climb trees or roof beams and then fall off of them like a boa. Um, it's The boas are not very good climbers <laughs> because they're so heavy, they're ground snakes. Right. And so whenever they do try to climb on something, they normally 
they can only pick up so much of their body weight before they fall. And so climbing requires more of their body weight than most have to climb up on things. And so they just, like, these people who are possessed will just, like, fall off of things because they're possessed by a boa snake. And so they're, they're really heavy. Um, his day is Thursday. Interesting. Uh, which is another important loa for doing your rituals and doing your altars and doing all that stuff. The, the dates are very important, very much like Norse. Um, so he has a favorite tree, which is a Bougain Villa, Villia. It's a large ornamental flowering tree or bush. It's kind of one of those, like a crepe myrtle. Like it can get big enough to be considered a tree, but it's still technically a bush. Yeah. Um, it's viney and thorny, but has these real, I looked it up, it has these really pretty, vibrant flowers on it. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the flowers that I saw were like a really bright, like magenta to like purple red color. Like a really bright pink to like that really bright purple red. Um, and he also has. A white is his associated color, mm-hmm. and he is also in charge of white metal, which is silver, and must be fed only white food and drinks, which goes back to the the eggs. <laughs> but again, all of, all of this is important to the ritual side, the altars, the offerings, all of that, you know. You want to offer what Dombala would like, and Dombala will only accept, or only is able to accept, white things, because that is his associated color. And that's what I got on Dombala. He's just a cool snake dude, doesn't talk a lot. And likes eggs. And likes eggs. Which I mean, same. Well, that was pretty interesting. I did not know. I don't know much about Loa to begin with, so... That was really fascinating. Um, so, I guess I just have Jupiter left. Oh my god. Deity of the sky. Weather god. Sender of thunder, lightning, rain, <laughs> and winds. He is called the father of men and gods. He was born of Saturn, and his father died. He Promise. rose to the throne. And he has two brothers. Neptune, god of the sea. Poseidon. Pluto, God of the underworld. Hades. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just fucking with you. But, um, <laughs> yes, uh, Jupiter also depicted with a beard and bod and has an eagle friend to bring back his bolts because he also reduces, reuses, and recycles. <laughs> well, actually, so what was interesting was I was like, there has to be some difference. Like, I know they are legitimately the same thing, but I need to know what the difference is. Yeah, is there a difference and what is it? Not really, no. There's not. <laughs> it's basically the idea that this proto-Indo-Euro religion um, got split off and then came back together just with different names. What was interesting to me was that their... Let me get my note here. Um, their names are 
what is it like entomology whatever they're basically the same so um zeus his name comes from the sky god deos from the ancient hindu rigveda rigveda huh. um whereas jupiter um is also called jove um in the latin Iopiter, Iovis, or Dispater. Hmm. Or Diaspiter. Diaspiter. I don't know. But um, they both mean the same thing, which is bright or light bringer. Makes sense. So I found some, you know, like differences in their names. <laughs> that was literally it. <laughs> so, um, like, where is it? Uh, the tradition of uh, his sacred tree, the oak, common to worship for both Zeus and Jupiter. Um, pebbles or flint stones are used in symbolic ceremonies. Uh, Roman priests who officially declared war made treaties on behalf of the Roman state using Jupiter. Hmm. The only difference is Jupiter has a planet named after him, is essentially what I found. Although part of me wants to go through and just start calling all the planets by the Greek names. <laughs> oh, that giant planet. Jupiter. You mean Zeus? <laughs> Zeus, the giant gas planet. Checks out. <laughs> Zeus is a giant gas planet. <laughs> I mean, yes, he's full of hot air. Um, please don't smite me. Smite her. <laughs> Well, that was fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I learned new things. I learned new gods. Same. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss the strange and unusual of the Pantheon Papas. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we are going to keep with this off-the-rails theme and discuss some personal stories for once to try to encourage all of you to reach out with your own tales. Feel free to reach out to us with your ideas, feedback, stories of your own at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you're sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little bit more easily. Are you a demigod? Did Zeus bang your mom? Did Zeus bang your cow? Like, I want to know. I want to know if Zeus banged your mom as a cow. <laughs> I mean... Are you a cow baby? <laughs> Was the cow then flooded with the blood of a primordial Yotun? <laughs> Let's just keep going. Let's see how bad we can make this. <laughs> Was that cow then drowned in the blood of the primordial, primordial Yotun? Sorry, I just dropped all of my things. I'm so scared. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or on our personal accounts, Roya Rampage, R-O-Y-A Rampage and Calamity Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Casey, I'm sorry, at Calamity Casey and at Royal Rampage. You can also now get us on Facebook if you search for the Strange and Unusual Podcast where we definitely do live streams and nothing bad ever happens there. And they're always on time. 
always on time. And they're well researched and well practiced, and we know exactly. Absolutely. What we're doing. <laughs> Nothing bad has ever happened to us on Facebook. Never. Ever. We're perfect at Facebook. Uh, also, if you uh, are listening to us on some subpar podcast uh, venue and you would like to find us somewhere else, let us know so we can shout it out at Anchor and get them on their shit. Also, if you are listening on a, venue, a podcast venue that allows you to leave reviews or ratings, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave us any five-star ratings. Um, and if you leave us a five-star review... Please DM us and let us know. We'll give you a shout out on our podcast. And if the review is good enough, maybe even read it while on the podcast. So it really helps us. It'll help us get into the right algorithms with the bigger podcast venues to try to get more listenership to put out more content for everyone that's been listening. Yeah. <laughs> good work, Casey. What she said. <laughs> well, with that... Uh... What are we doing next? We're doing, uh... We're doing personal stories. That's right. You, you said that. You said... Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was the one that said that. And I said <laughs> it again. I don't remember what happened two minutes ago. Come on. Ugh. Alright. I need some lunch. Same. <laughs> but I don't have any. Neither do I. <laughs> my husband's bringing it home. Hopefully my girlfriend will be bringing it home. Is she no longer your fiance? <laughs> Whatever. Yes, yeah, she is still my fiance. Okay. Well, I want to make sure I didn't miss something. Oh. It just feels weird to say fiance. Jari's been downgraded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, no. All I right. like girl power, but then I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't work here. <laughs> All right, friend. Well, I will see you next week. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> we get worse every time. I know. It's so funny. It's my favorite. <laughs>